2015. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on ancient Mesopotamian mythology and its relation to the Canaanite myths that comprise the seasonal ceremonies of the Order of the Temple of Astarte. As our in-studio guest, we will have Michael Beeson, Prater Issa, from our Hobar encampment in Dallas, Texas. Now, during this discussion, we'll touch on such subjects as the Anunnaki, the Elder Gods, how man was created by the earth goddess as a slave of the gods, how Oannes brought civilization to the Sumerians, and the numerous parallels between Canaanite and Mesopotamian myth and legend. Our primary text will be John Gray's Near Eastern Mythology, which is cross-comparative. Now, if you've been curious about the similarities between Ishtar and Astarte, Baal and Marduk, then tune in and we'll try to sort out the pre-biblical family trees for you. Now, um, the uh, Japanese Zen master D.T. Suzuki once uh, once uh, came over here to UCLA to give a lecture on Zen Buddhism when Zen Buddhism was first getting popular back in the 1960s. And he faced an audience uh, of, uh, of students at uh, UCLA and the Lyceum. And, and he looked at all of them and he said, Zen Buddhism, very hard to understand. Thank you. And turned around and left, and that was the end of the lecture. Well, in a way, I almost... <laughs> I almost would like to do that with, with Mesopotamian mythology and say that it's very hard to understand. It's very complicated. But we, we're going to try to sort some of it out anyway and uh, see how far we can get. Because this is complex, and one of the reasons why it is complex is is the uh, that that uh, fertile crescent area, you know, where we've been fighting all all that war for the, for the past uh, thirty years uh, uh, in the Tigris and Euphrates uh, basin, and the Persian emptying into the Persian Gulf. That area has been the cradle of of uh, numerous civilizations and and a number of them, and th- th- this gets very confusing because when you when you start studying it, you're 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 wondering well we're studying the Assyrian gods and we're studying the uh, the the uh, Akkadian pantheon and and their their uh, their religion, and then and of course it all goes back to the Sumerians, but then there are the Chaldeans. And and the Babylonians and and it really gets to be and and all all their gods and their their uh, their mythologies are a little bit different and and you see where one goes into another but but um, the the and then and, and then to, to make matters even more complicated then the Persians came in and took them over and changed everything and so it really gets to be it gets to be a tremendous uh, a kind of a mishmash. Uh, so, what what are 
uh, what we're going to try to do uh, tonight is we're going to try to focus on how how um, similar uh, and how and the influence of uh, Sumerian, uh, Akkadian, uh, Assyrian, Babylonian, and all of these these uh, uh, fertile crescent uh, civilizations how they how they influenced and and, uh, and carried into our Canaanite uh, tradition. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off by reading a couple of sections um, uh, regarding regarding uh, some of this original stuff. But first, before we do that, first let's talk about the. Uh, I know this is on everybody's mind that that, that is interested in this subject is the Anunnaki. And why is the why are the Anunnaki? Because they are the they are the elder elder gods. They're the oldest gods according to, to uh, according to the mythology. They're the oldest gods, and and they uh, uh, if you follow Zachariah Sitchin, they they came from from uh, you know from outer space, from another planet, what have you. Uh, let me say this about that before we get any further. Uh, Anu is the sky god, and Anunnaki, of course, are, are like Elohim. You know, like El, El is El is the father god. And the Canaanites and Elohim are, and the Elohim are are, are all the little godlets. And uh, so the same thing with Anu and Anunnaki. Uh, they're the sky gods. Now that, of course, is what Sitchin uh, spins off on. Now, however, what excuse me, what uh, what we um, um, should realize here is that in in ancient uh, Sumerian mythology, and the Sumerians were the ones who started it off. They were the gods of the underworld, and uh, and this by the way, carried all the way through to, to Greek mythology. And we were discussing this the other night with uh, British author um, um, uh, Jake Stratton Kent, where he's, uh, uh, where we were saying, if you remember that discussion, that the, the underworld, both in, in uh, Sumeria and in ancient Greece, the underworld got, got put up in the sky. Became the became the zodiac and the Milky Way and all of these uh, it it was translated into the sky and one of the reasons for this was that that's where the stars were at night and where the planets and the moon and the sun and all of them at night were were under the ground under the horizon as in, in a very primitive sense if you if you look at this thing from a very primitive point of view. Do you think, well, well, where are all these heavenly bodies coming from? They're coming up out of the earth. They're coming up over the horizon. So the most ancient uh, ancients had this idea that uh, the underworld was also uh, the overworld. And uh, that needs to be kept in mind uh, because actually uh, the Anunnaki, you know, were really, as I said, they were really... Uh, supposedly Chthonian, actually. In, in, in. Now, they had a, a lesser group of gods called the Agigi, and the Agigi, and we, we, we figured out, we figured out it's spelled I-G-I, 
<laughs> with two G's, and um, and we 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 checked up and found out it's supposed to be pronounced Agiji. Anyway, the Agiji were were their their servant gods, kind of, and the Agiji uh, when they when the Anunnaki came down or came up, either way you want to look at it, uh, they had the 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 uh, had the uh, the Agiji take uh, doing their work for them. Growing their food, digging their digging their their canals. These people were very much into irrigation. Irrigation was their big thing, and because the Tigris and the Euphrates River and all those marshes, they started out down there in those marshes down in the in the in the in the in the, in the, uh, the delta of the of the of the, uh, of the Tigris down there, and and um, so. But then when they started uh, farming up. Further up the river, they they began to dig dig uh, canals and irrigation dishes, and uh, the 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 the, uh, the Igigi the Igigi were being worked too hard. They 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 had a they they had a labor dispute, and they went on strike. And they not only went on strike, they actually revolted, and so. Um, <laughs> The gods got together, and they said, "What are we going to do? You know, the the Igigi won't work for us anymore. They and they won't grow food for us. They won't dig dig canals. They won't dig ditches. And what what are we going to do?" And the, and they said the uh, the Anunnaki's. By the way, there's no gold. You know, if you notice in this story, uh, the the uh, we're talking about digging gold. We're talking about digging drainage. Uh, you know, digging irrigation ditches uh, and planting food. Now, uh, let's read the creation of man here, not from John Gray. This this one is from uh, uh, Stephanie Daly's uh, Myths of Mesopotamia, The Creation of Man. According, according to Atrahasis, which is the, uh, that's the Mesopotamian Noah, the mother goddess, Mami, with the help of the wise god Ea, was also a water god, created men out of clay mixed with the blood of a slain god called Ilawila. Man's purpose in life was to relieve the gods of hard labor. This account of man's creation may be compared with that in the epic of creation in which Marduk, and that's later when that's Babylonian, used the blood of Tingu, the evil leader of the enemy gods whom he had slain to create mankind with the help of Ea. Clay is not mentioned. And no birth goddess takes part. But the purpose of man's creation is again toil on the gods' behalf. And neither account mentions the creation of animals, which is an, which is an important preliminary to man's creation in Genesis. The account in Genesis describes God using earth uh, to create the first man, Adam, animating him with the breath of life. In Hesoid's Works and Days, written in uh, Moesia in Greek, in, in Greek around the 8th century B.C., the gods incite the smith god, Hephaestus, to make Pandora out of clay and water, both in Greece 
and Mesopotamia, deities associated with birth and fertility, are also patrons of mining, smelting, and copper uh, and coppersmith's craft because they create new forms from basic materials. Okay, so much for Stephanie Daly. Uh, now, uh, we mentioned in here uh, Oanus, uh, the, the 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 fish god, uh, the amphibian, brought civilization to the Sumerians. Let's let's uh, mention for a minute here. Uh, by the way, let me check in with uh, um, uh, Michael. Are you there? I am most certainly here, folks. Uh, okay, uh, let me just just wrap a little of this up, and then we'll get into a few things. Uh, uh, I wanna, I wanna, yeah, I want us the. Uh, Awanus, the uh, the uh, amphibian, who we we equate with Dagon, and and uh, and the the constellation uh, Capricorn, uh, the fish code. Uh, Awanus brought civilization to the Sumerians. Now the Sumerians, and this is where things get really interesting uh, in the in the background of this. The Sumerians founded this this civilization. They were the first ones in, and they were not native to uh, uh, to that Persian Gulf, uh, Tigris and Euphrates area. They came in by apparently by sea, and and they were uh, uh, they were not a Semitic people, and uh, they weren't Aryan either. They were they were. Uh, um, uh, nobody, well, nobody actually knows what they were. They, they, they were, uh, uh, but uh, they, they believed they, they settled in the marshes, and they made, they made their, their houses out of reeds and all that, and they settled in the marshes, and uh, they believed they, they had this story about the, about the amphibian uh, Awanus, uh who would come uh, every day. And in the morning, he'd come out of the water, and he would teach them. And he taught them, um, uh, literally taught them all the arts of civilization. Uh, he taught them everything, including writing. Uh, and uh, uh, who this creature was, of course, we don't know. And, and uh, Dagon, uh, over in uh, Canaan, uh, fills that, uh, is kind of a cognate, at least as far as we're concerned. And... Uh, so uh, there, there is some you know, speculation that he, that Oannes uh, might be uh, from uh, from uh, Atlantis or the Maria or or another planet or something like that. That's that's that was a, a speculation for a while that he might be from from Sirius, um, and uh, uh, that was based on the Dogon uh, revelations in Africa, uh, and. Um, so um, let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, 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 Michael. Let's let's talk about the uh, uh, the sequence of of this. Uh, um, uh, John Gray makes the point that that all of the everything after this everything after the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Sumerians. They all the peoples that came after them were all Semitic. They all came in from the desert. Uh, and uh, uh, would you agree with that? 
I, I would definitely agree with that. And if if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to Awanas a little bit. Um, one of the, the the ways that they that they recorded that he taught civilization was by sending seven sages, and each of those sages took on characteristics of Awanas too. So that that's also interesting and ties in with all the things. But yes, I would definitely agree. Going back, that they came from the deserts. And and one of the things that Jean Ray also points out is that Ishtar was Ishtar was Semitic, and she was the Semitic version of the goddess. And he thinks that that her that Ishtar's warlike aspect is is a, is a Semitic comes from the Semitic, which means that which means that although he doesn't say it in so many words, but he he's equating that with the, with the Canaanite Anath, with our uh, with our goddess Anath, the, uh, the, the and uh, that uh, you know uh, that that is so uh, so provocative that Anath might in some ways or the Anath concept might in some ways predate Ishtar. That really is is a kind of a mind blower. But then, when you think about it, uh, Anath has the has the, uh, the the necklace of human heads, and she has the and the she has the skirt of human hands, and that that goes all the way over into the wrath of the uh, the Kinis in Tibet and 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 Durga and and Kali and in India. So this is very very ancient. So. It may be that 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 Ishtar is is the see the the Sumerians they had a, a goddess uh, called Inanna and Inanna did did everything that Ishtar did pretty much but except she wasn't a war goddess and and so Ishtar and we're more familiar with Ishtar uh, as a cognate for Astarte and whatever. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, about the Ishtar and and uh, and, and Inanna uh, uh, cycle, um, uh, Michael? Yeah, yes, I'm here. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we can we can totally talk about that. Um, give me one moment. <clears throat> Okay, so um, with Ishtar and Inanna, um, I, all I know about that is that they're cognates. So could you please tell us a little bit more about that? Well, as I said, they're, they're, uh, they're cognate, but one of the, the main thing that we, uh, between the two, between the uh, Mesopotamian uh, cycle and the Canaanite cycle is this idea of Ishtar's and the Startes descent or Anath's descent into the underworld to resurrect the dead year king. This is the this is the the big cognate myth theme that we that both of these and Anana Anana really originally as I as I understand it Anana the the uh, the Sumerian Anana did this, but she didn't do it quite as uh, as forcefully as Ishtar, because uh, she wasn't a war goddess. But uh, what happens during this uh, descent? You know, you, the Tammuz is the is the year king in in, uh, in Mesopotamia. 
uh, Tammuz and and over in Canaan it's uh, it's Baal, and uh, so what we uh, what we have here is is Baal and and or Tammuz are killed and and yearly. And, and this is sacrifice of the year king and whatever, which eventually culminates in in, uh, in the crucifixion of Jesus, of course. But but uh, so the goddess, in this case, in our case, uh, it originally it was an op, and then finally Astarte goes down into the underworld to face the dark lord Moat over in Canaan, but. In in uh, in Mesopotamia, it's Mesopotamia. Uh, it's uh, uh, Inanna and or Ishtar going down through the seven gates, uh, and and in both cases, uh, <coughs> Ishtar leaves a piece of jewelry. She does a kind of a strip tease going down, and uh, Nergal. Uh, the uh, the the god of of of, of death and, and destruction, Nergal uh, has he sets guards at each one of these gates, portal guards, and we also have that in 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 the Canaanite uh, uh, in our version of the of the Canaanite uh, descent, whereas Moat stations these these portal guards. Well, she has to surrender. Ishtar surrenders a piece of jewelry at each uh, and, and uh, at each uh, uh, gate, and finally gets down to the bottom where Tammuz is lying there. And at that point, she's naked, and she confronts uh, Gal, the goddess of the the underworld, which Nergal, by the way, has has managed to to uh, force her into a marriage. So Nergal has and and and, and Arishkigal are are they're uh, uh, yeah uh, they're they're an item okay they 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 that's like the god and the goddess of uh, the underworld and of, of death and whatever and uh, Ishtar manages to to uh, get Arishkigal to uh, to let her resurrect Tammuz and bring him back up. And and we do the same thing basically, except over in Canaan, Anath kills Moat, uh, which is, Moat is the uh, the cognate for for uh, Nergal, and uh, and then resurrects resurrects Baal, and so these two are very very closely related. These two themes, and uh, the. Uh, uh, do you want to add something to that? No, no sir, I do not. No, that that was a very good overview of um, exactly how that cycle works. So thank you for that. Okay, now I, I uh, we're uh, looking at the, the following our abstract here uh, and. and uh, I think that what we ought to do is talk about Marduk and Baal and Marduk a little bit here. Well, he said, and, and Baal, uh, yeah, do you, want, you want to talk about Baal and Marduk? I've been doing most of the talking here. Okay, um, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and cover Marduk, and you can cover Baal. How about that? 
So cover Marduk. Okay. So with Marduk, um, what happens in the tablets of creation is Marduk is the one who um has to conquer the gods of chaos. Um and the gods of chaos are all water gods and the Mesopotamian uh region is very subject to random flooding. Um so it's it's really hard to control. And Marduk's the one who's able to um finally defeat those chaos gods and bring some regularity uh to the region. Um and he does that. He's a local god of Babylon. Uh, his legend's been rewritten with the local gods of all the other cities, too. Um, so that's that's the basic hero cycle of Marduk. And he does sacrifice himself to create humanity in some of the myths, where he has the other gods cut his head, and from his blood, um, humanity is formed. Yeah, good. Uh, Marduk is very uh, similar and almost uh, almost a linguistic cognate for Melkart, uh, who is and Marduk was the god of the city of Babylon, and Melkart was the god of the city of Tyre, and Melkart and Melkart was a was was a version of Baal, and uh, and Melkart and Marduk both were versions of Hercules, and if you know you know going around and doing the Doing the labors, and and uh, this brings up uh, the point that that uh, so much of Greek Greek mythology, especially the early the earliest pre-Homeric Greek mythology, with the uh, you know the the elder gods, uh, the Titans, and and uh, so much of that uh, is paralleled. In the early uh, in the early myths of uh, of uh, Mesopotamia, and uh, and the same thing with Canaan. Like like for instance, they had they had this huge uh, female sea monster called Tiamat in in uh, Mesopotamian mythology, and Tiamat got torn got uh, Marduk in some versions of it. And uh, yeah, or, or I forget who was who was the the uh, Sumerian version of, of who who dismembered uh, Tiamat, but but uh, Tiamat got dismembered by by the the uh, by the the hero god of of, uh, of all these various traditions, and the same thing. You know, we we have our we have in Canaan we have Lotan, who is the biblical Leviathan, and and that's the. All right, the difference is, and this is kind of interesting. The difference is that in Canaanite mythos, Lotan or Typhon was was male, and yet and and yet in over in uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, their their great big original sea monster was female, and uh, maybe this is where some of this original uh, uh, anti-female uh, Semitic uh, uh, stuff came from. I, oh, I don't know because uh, it's just a speculation. But uh, now, yeah. So what do you what uh, what would you like to if you like to comment on that before I move into 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 Shamash the Sun God? 
Yes, sir, I would. Um, so with uh, Marduk and his defeating of Tiamat, a lot of the zodiacal monsters are directly related to monsters that she gave birth to um, in their cycle. Um, yeah. Is there anything like that that corresponds with Lotan? Did he maybe have minions or um, something along those lines with Melkart and his trials? Uh, well, you're right about that, but the, the, the all these monsters that she gave birth to are the beasts. And one of the things is that the original Phoenicians, the Phoenicians actually referred to the uh, uh, the Hercules, they, uh, Heracles, uh, or the Melkart uh, myth, uh, they they referred to those signs of the zodiac as the beasts of the zodiac that uh, that Heracles or uh, Melkart conquers the beasts of the zodiac. So apparently, uh, yeah, when they the way they conceived it, they were all beasts, and that would relate to uh, to the monsters of Tiamat. Uh, one of the things I want to get into. And I want to read read this out of John Gray because, uh, as we as we all know, uh, all of this original Middle Eastern mythology, and probably including Egyptian mythology too, at a certain point, was solarized. And and uh, one of the things that that uh, um, the solarization is usually attributed to Alexander. In other words, uh, we usually think of, of Alexander going, uh, marching eastward and and uh, conquering all of, going all the way to India and spreading Hellenic culture and and Hellenic religion. Also, he uh, he literally Hellenized virtually everything. He even Hellenized the Persians to some degree. And and uh he uh he uh, so Alexander uh is given the given the credit for 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 solarizing the uh, you know the 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 mythologies of the including the Bible. And uh yet yet I what I'm what I'm Finding out uh, and looking at that uh, the uh, the Babylonian Shamash sun god, I'm I'm not sure that that solarization started with uh, with Alexander, and and the solarization. Uh, let me uh, let's let's read uh, what what uh, what John Gray has to say about this Shamash the sun god. In the, Babylon, in the Babylon of Hammurabi's age, about 1700 B.C., one of the most active gods was Shamash, the sun, also called Babar, perhaps a form of Barbar, the bright one. The sun had also been venerated by the Sumerians, particularly at, uh, at Larsa and Sippar, where he was named he was appropriately the enemy of darkness and all the evils which darkness anciently symbolized. He was the sun, with healing in his wings. That sounds like a golden dawn. Who dispelled disease and 
to the oppressed, he was the, the vindicator. As the God who traverses the whole sky from the horizon to horizon, and even, according to the Mesopotamian cosmology, accompanies a similar nightly journey through the underworld. He sees all wrongs, both open and hidden, and is the great God of justice. He demands justice from the ruler and is the champion of his subjects, particularly the underprivileged. Mm -hmm. This characteristic is particularly well illustrated in the prologue to Hammurabi's famous Code of Laws. And on the sculpture at the head of the code where the king stands subserviently before Shamash, from whom he receives the symbols of his commission. Now, from that, that's very interesting. Now, if that proceeds, if that code comes before Zoroaster, then, and it may very well be, that, that, that is very significant. And because uh, what we're looking at there looks an awful lot like Uhura Mazda, and and it also it uh, it looks it looks like like Osiris and and Jesus and all the sun gods, and it it really does. It it seems to be that maybe maybe our solarization that we that we that we put on put on to Zoro to Zoroaster and also his agent Ezra. So maybe maybe that uh, and, and we also attribute it to the Hellenizing influence of Alexander. Perhaps this precedes it. Now let's uh, and certainly certainly influences the Hermetic tradition because as you as we all know the Hermetic tradition is very solar. And uh, uh, now before we get into Sin the Moon God the other the other equal time for the for the Moon. Uh, any comments on that, Michael? Um, I do not have any direct comments on that, um, aside from taking the opportunity to bring up Maze. So um, one of the things that's interesting about that, um, about the stele of Hammurabi, those badges of office that he's been given are physical things that also represent abstract concepts. Uh, which is very much how our magical tools continue to work in the tradition. Right. Okay. Let's talk about sin the moon god because that also relates to a lot of a lot of what we do. And um, sin the moon god. The moon god sin is is well known in the Sumerian pantheon through the stimulating discoveries of the late Leonard Woolsey at Hur, sin's chief cult center in southern Mesopotamia. The moon, marking as it does the regular passage of time, particularly impressed the ancients, and was the god chiefly venerated in the pre-Christian civilization of southern Arabia. There was great interest in trade overseas and over the desert, where expeditions might take months and even years. Time reckoning was an important factor in provisioning an expedition and in estimating its duration and the period for which income would be suspended. This may possibly explain the supreme regard in which the moon god was held. It was 
it is significant that the Semites of the great caravan city of Palmyra, God, I hope it's still there, in the first three centuries of the Christian era, also gave high priority to the worship of the moon. Yeraka or Yarkabol, and of course that's that's cognate with Yarik of the uh, of the Canaanites. The high regard for the moon in Sumerian religion may point to the voyage of the Sumerian settlers who evidently came from an organized expedition by what we have noticed of the cult of the moon in the mercantile states of Ur. The most important cult center of the moon god in Mesopotamia, this is important, the most important cult center of the moon god in Mesopotamia was Haran in northern Mesopotamia, which actually means caravan. And there, the mother of King Nabonid, the last king of Babylon, was priestess of the moon god. And from her come the, the, the Nabadians. Um, from the Sumerian myth of the union of Enki and, and, and Ninhursag, and from en, en, Enki's numerous female progeny, we may infer the significance of female of female deities in various in variations of the mother goddess. A central figure in all in all nature in all nature religions. This deity, generally called Inanna among the Sumerians, was identified among the Semitic Amorites and Assyrians as Ishtar. Inanna or Ishtar, the mother goddess. The natural interest of man in the increase of crop and flock, and indeed of family is reflected in the earliest times in Paleolithic Europe in cave paintings of pregnant females and in Mesopotamia and Palestine by nude female figures. The mother goddess played most important uh, role in the myth and ritual to stimulate the desired increase. The principle was that um, that of homeopathic or imitative magic by which men influence the gods by the intensity of their involvement in the supernatural process thus thought to be stimulated. The sacred marriage between the god and the goddess was an important rite in Sumerian religion and indeed in nature religion among the Semites in the Near East in all periods and regions except in Israel. And in Mesopotamia, it is depicted on a cylinder seal uh, from Tel Asmar from the middle of the second millennium B.C. and it is known from ritual texts that in the city of Isin, about the end of the third millennium B.C., the sacred marriage was annually enacted by the king as representative of the vegetation god Tammuz and a priestess representing Inanna. The mother goddess Inanna, to whom the Semitic Ishtar was assimilated, was thus the chain for chain was just the channel of fertility to men, the great lover and mother 
her love was inescapable, consuming, and even fatal, as indicated by the passage from Gilgamesh. Well, Ishtar tried to tried to seduce Gilgamesh, and, and Anath also tried to seduce Akat over in Canaan. So, uh, uh, that, that, you want to you, you want let, let's let's comment on this on on the mother goddess here because I know what Phil Carson's listening. She'll certainly want us to do that. Uh, 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 Michael, what do you uh, what, what do you think? Um, I I think that that that's a good analysis. Um, my my question about that would be with with Inanna, um, exactly. Uh, what what things does she give birth to in response to that union? I mean, I know that she feeds the fertility, but does she actually give birth to anything as a result of that? Well, that's a good question because uh, essentially that sacred marriage or hieros gamos it ends up in in uh, it ends up even in the Christian tradition, at least in the Valentinian Christian tradition, as uh, and, and uh, uh it, it's as you know in valentinian christianity the uh the sacred the, the the marriage the marriage was the passion not the crucifixion and uh uh so what they did as as uh, you know from the golden bow and we all know that the idea of the of the king and the queen or the or the king and the and the high priestess in this case getting together uh, once a year and having doing a high roast game. They used to do it on top of the ziggurat, by the way. They had a they had an edonic bower on top of the ziggurat. They go up the top and everybody would you know chant and and, uh, and play the sistrums and all, and they'd be up there up there uh, and they were doing it uh, primarily to. So, like the maybe flocks and herds increase, and, and uh, as we as we say in the in the sacred marriage, uh, you know, uh, may the furrows nurture seedlings, may the flocks and herds increase, uh, and and uh, and that so that was that was the purpose of it. Of course, in a darker way, in ancient Greece, you know, they they used to take the year king uh, way way back. They used to take the year king out there and 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 cut his throat and 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 haul him up and down the furrows and and fertilize the furrows with his blood. So there's there's other ways to do that. So uh, and of course this goes to the old idea of of uh, even in Europe uh, of the peasants going out there and having and 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 having sex out there in the. Uh, in the you know in in the in the, in the newly plowed earth, um, that's that's the purpose of it. Of course, is 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 the fertilization. You know, kind of like in the King Arthur legend, the king is the land is the king and the king is the land. You know, and 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 so um, this this is uh, uh, very much a uh, very much a uh, a fertility kind of a thing, and. Um, the uh, uh, see, and as I said in in uh, in Valentinian Christianity, 
that that sacred marriage is is or, or what is sometimes referred to as the as the feast of agape. That it's very very beautiful and it's and it's and it is supposed to be very very significant. So. Uh, I think we've touched all the bases that we were going to touch here, and and pretty, we, we pretty much got everything uh, that we. But but I do I do want to want to talk about uh, about uh, uh, some of the things that, that you know that we came in with the Persians, and uh, and so we can kind of you know bring out all of that uh, uh, together. Uh, I mentioned Ezra before. Uh, you know when the uh, um, when when the uh, the Judeans got carried over to Babylon and uh, were in captivity in Babylon, and then the Babylonians, you know, fell to the Persians. Uh, when when the when Cyrus the Persian came in, he uh, he, uh, he 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 was he was really quite a quite a geopolitical politician. In fact, I think maybe Cyrus the Persian invented geopolitics because what he what he did was uh, he moved the uh, the Cuthians over and made them Samaritans. And uh, and oh, I know that might have been done before Cyrus, but but uh, but uh, whatever. But but he he got the idea. If I take these captive Jews and and I take them over and I establish them in in Jerusalem and I put them in control of the country and then they have this book and they can control the people with this book and they're my they're my agents and 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 so I'm going to I'm going to help them number one I'm going to help them get their book together and then when they get their book together, then I'm gonna I'm gonna take them over there. I'm gonna take them back, and I'm gonna give them control under my under my uh, uh, aegis and under my command. I'm gonna give them control of, of Palestine. Well, he did that, and sure enough, uh, they did, and and they got the, they had the book, and they wrote the book, but they wrote the book really with Cyrus looking over their shoulder, and. It's interesting to find out that that so much of what's in the Bible comes from Mesopotamian stories. Like a lot of it comes from the you know Genesis. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of it comes from from uh, uh, Gilgamesh and the Noah story and and uh, even the Moses story. And even even there is even a Solomon. They even had a uh, a, a king. A king that was very much like Solomon. So, so many of these stories uh, are very much influenced in Ezra's Bible. Are very much influenced by uh, that their Babylonian records and all, which they were all uh, able to study. Uh, you want to comment on some of this before we wrap it up? Um, I'm actually about ready to wrap up personally. Um, the the Bible stories. You've you've covered the basics of that, so I don't really have anything to add to that one. Yeah, well, uh, the um, the 
about this business of Ezra and his Bible, uh, because he did, he, he he literally he was the he was the compiler and the editor of the Bible, and he and he used it uh, as as Cyrus's agent to uh, to uh, take over, and they went on an evangelical campaign, and they you know it's very hard to become Jewish today, but but in those days they were they were out to convert every Canaanite. And 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 all of them in uh, in, uh, in in uh, in Israel, and all the way up into Phoenicia, and they and and they couldn't do the Samaritans because the Samaritans had an earlier version of the Bible, of theirs, and so they wouldn't, uh, uh, and so they accused the Samaritans of being pagan, <laughs> and and uh, the cursed Cuthians, and but they uh, this 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 situation with Ezra. And, and and his um, and his uh, Sadducees and his uh, the, the dominating uh, Palestine uh, existed all the way from that time and uh, and uh, and I personally believe and and, and that that, that uh, Jesus was was going like Paul said he was a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek in other words. He wanted to restore L rather than YHVH uh, as as uh, as the as the as God the Canaanite God God L. Uh, do you uh, do you want to make a comment on that? Well, Melchizedek was a priest in Uruk, um, in Mesopotamia, so uh, that that would that would carry. That's where Abram and Abraham were from. So, um, so attempting to restore the the gods um, the, of Melchizedek would be uh, tying all of this up together. Yep, absolutely. And, and uh, anyway, uh, the uh, so, but but the point being that the solarization we usually think of the solarization as coming in uh, with Ezra. And yeah, Ezra had some. There were some solar aspects in Ezra's, uh, uh, especially in Solomon, even in Solomon's temple. But there were. Um, but of course, how much of how much of what we know about Solomon's temple is filtered through Ezra? We don't. We really can't say. But uh, the um, this gives. I think. I think we've 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 pretty much touched. Uh, the bases that we wanted to touch and covered the areas we wanted to we wanted to cover, but uh, I think people need to remember that that this starts with the Sumerians. It's all everything starts with them, as far as we know. They're the oldest. That was the oldest uh, mythology uh, that we that we know about, and uh, and it certainly was influ- influential on on the Canaanite and the Greek and 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 all of us, and and on and on the on the various Semitic uh, tribes that came in and created their empires in in what is now Iraq and in in uh, the uh, the Tigris and Euphrates Valley, and all of those, and that's that's the um, that's the Akkadians, the uh, the Assyrians, uh, the Babylonians, and then finally. The Persians, uh, after you know everything, so uh, that just about wraps wraps it up, at least on our end. 
And uh, next week, next week, we're going to have Lady Catherine Ironwood, Chad Ironwood, of Lucky Mojo. And she is, for those of you who don't know, Catherine Ironwood is probably the nation's top expert in in Afro um, in Afro American uh, folk religion, hoodoo, and uh, if you all remember hoodoo, you do do what? Remind me of the man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power to hoodoo. Hoodoo, you do. Remind me of the man. Yeah, I remember that. But anyway, uh, hoodoo is um, is is Native American. It's uh, and uh, and we'll and and uh, Catherine. And Lucky Mojo is is one of the best occult uh, uh, supply houses in in uh, for incense and root work and and all of that uh, all of the 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 the, Afri- the African American folk tradition. And as I say, Catherine's written several books, and she is really an expert. And uh, I've known her for years, and, and so we're looking forward to having her on. Um, and next week, and and uh, and uh, so uh, until then, good magic.